0: I'm working at this center, and I have this necklace that says feminist, and I spend all this time talking about female empowerment, and then I'll be in bed with a dude, and like, <laughs> never, not saying no, not knowing how to communicate with my, like, like I, I'll just turn into like, Lobotomy Barbie.
1: Welcome to What's Underneath, the podcast that will inspire you to accept the skin you're in and step into your most whole, powerful self. I'm Lily Mandelbaum, and sitting next to me is my mom, Alisa Goodkind, and we are the creators of Style Like You. In our podcast, we bring you the extended interviews from our video series, The What's Underneath Project, in which diverse role models strip down to open up and claim the power of the
2: skin they're in. The first step to self-acceptance is being radically honest about the things you're ashamed of, And by listening to these stories, you are tapping into the healing power of vulnerability, truth-sharing, and the unshakable bravery to be yourself. You're giving yourself
1: permission to recognize that you are completely beautiful and enough as you are. Hey, everyone.
2: Hi, everyone. Hope that you're all doing well. We're really excited about this week's What's Underneath Storyteller. She is kind of the last episode of our What's Underneath Black Voices series, but not really because... Next week, when we launch our Mental Health, What's Underneath Mental Health theme for May, the the storyteller, the man, is also the, the last of our Black voices in the beginning of that. So it's really emotional, actually, for us, for this series to be kind of coming to an end. It's been such an incredible journey and honor interviewing all these amazing humans. And we've learned so much and been so transformed and in so many ways. So... Yeah, but we're excited that it doesn't mean that it's the end of what's underneath for now because we're we're continuing and every month, our goal is for every month this year to have a different theme, which is something that's a first for us to do it in themes. Um, so next month is mental health. And then for June, we're going to focus on Pride. And we're actually in the process of casting our Pride series. So if any of you have ideas of people that we should interview, storytellers for the Pride series, really incredible individuals of all different ages and body types and experiences across the LGBTQIA plus spectrum. We really welcome that. People that have really come into being super comfortable in their skin and potentially overcoming a struggle to get there we've really we've we've had some of the most powerful interviews that we've done come through your suggestions and your ideas so we really welcome them um and mom do you want to share anything more about what we're looking for just um if you could really think hard about anyone that
1: you would recommend being someone or couples or a group of people that really expand our view of this community and uh, and lift us and open our perspectives in ways that
2: we are not as familiar with. So this week, our storyteller is Johnna Mae Davis, who is a 22 year old superstar, I think. Um, She's really one of those examples of like, for me, of realizing how, I don't know, how incredible Gen Z is and so smart and like, gets things so much more than I did at that age. Geronime's story really mirrors in a lot of ways my story with my body image and with my mom and the healing that the two of us have have embarked on in the last decade when it comes to self-image and righting the wrongs and unlearning and relearning what the patriarchy and media had indoctrinated into both of us when it comes to body image and, and the ways in which my mom, you know, her own naivete and conditioning led to some parenting mishaps when it comes to me and my body. And that's something that Geronime and her mom have also done a lot of healing around together and really had a similar similar story. It's recent, only recently that I've
1: come to a place with a lot of looking at myself where I can... Th- real you know feel really just defenseless against how many areas i didn't do a very good job in as a parent when all i wanted to do in my life was be the best parent that i could possibly be because of my own lack of parenting that i experienced so it was it's been it's it was such a driving force for me but having actually been someone who did wasn't able to incorporate or understand exactly and mirror the kind of, you know, parenting that is, you know, the optimal type of parenting, I fell into a bunch of holes. uh, And a couple of one of them in particular was my indoctrination into the society standards at the time, 30 something years ago, 25 years ago, 20 years ago, around body weight, around body image, um, and my you know, being very brainwashed by the larger, by what I was brought up into and by the larger society in terms of what, what is a, you know, what a body is supposed to be, that a body is supposed to be a certain weight, like a girl more or less, you know, at a certain height, you know, has a certain weight and does certain things to maintain that weight in terms of diet and in terms of exercise. And I really had no, understanding of how ridiculous that is, how completely how imprisoning and, and oppressive that that idea is and it actually doesn't address whatsoever the infinite myriad of bodies and shapes and types of people that we are and that there you know there is absolutely no one weight or one way to be in your life, including how you eat or how much you exercise or don't exercise and all of that. So it's really taken style like you and Lily has taken me on an absolute amazing journey to under you know to completely reorganizing my brain as to what a beautiful body is and I really Lily's really my hero complete hero in this department I admire her guts and, and how hard she's had to struggle and confront all of this and how she has triumphed through that struggle by being so honest. And she had to really, you know, she had to push against everything, including my ignorance at, at a certain point. So, yeah, so I, Jona May's story with her mom was very similar in terms of her mom being this big, you know, fit yoga teacher. I was actually that at one time also you know, doing lots of smoothies and, you know, lots of vegetables and, and just believing that we can control what our body wants us to be, which is not true at all.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, as a kid, my mom, like just to be more tangible, it, like she, you know, I was always a bigger, you know, curvier person. And, you know, I, I think because she saw me struggling with that and like feeling not feeling insecure about that, She thought the answer was for me to lose 20 or 30 pounds, that I'd be happier if I had, if I lost that weight. And so would really encourage that. And every few months kind of give me a talk about that. And it was really, you know, not, not the move. Um, and it, put me in this cycle of obsessively dieting and losing 30 pounds and gaining 30 pounds and losing 30 pounds and gaining 30 pounds and losing my period and being obsessed with exercise and exercising before school, exercising after school, all that. Of course, not finding peace or not finding acceptance, even though I'd have maybe momentary like hits of it when I was thin and like got the attention that I wanted from boys. And yeah, and may similarly, had a a bit of a similar experience. Her her mom wanted her to be happy. So because she was a like angsty, emotional girl who was already struggling. She in her case, I didn't obviously have this, but she in her case was struggling with being biracial in a very white community. And her mom wanted her to fit in. And I think my mom and her mom had that similar impulse of like this idea that, you know, as a parent that like, once we fit in, we'll be happier and we'll be We'll be fine. And I think as a mother, that's like an impulse that makes a lot of sense. But actually, in both of our cases, me and Drona Mae, like that wasn't what we needed to hear. We needed to be encouraged to be ourselves. And um, so in her case, uh, you know, she was pushed into ballet and into soccer and she didn't fit any of the uniforms and it was making her more self-conscious about her body and just it was just not helping and then that led to anorexia and bulimia and orthorexia and all these things and this long 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 journey of her you know struggling with eating disorders to now being like just such an inspiration when it comes to her body I you know she's one of those people that I look at on Instagram and like genuinely I see like a, a belly filled with rolls and and stretch marks and I like I'm drawn to it. I think it's like appealing. I think it's sexy. I think it's like like I I it's one of those examples of when you own something about yourself, you can change something from being literally you innovative. can change the beauty of a thing by like your confidence about it. And she makes she makes, you know, her belly and her, you know, her her beautiful body shape into something that you just it's so dreamy even though it's not at all what the standard was for her growing up or what she thought she wanted and in that owning of it she's like really transformed her own life but also so many people on the internet who follow her and and her style is also insane and so inspiring to me I've my mom and I have been laughing because ever since the shoot I've been <laughs> every I have like stalked her instagram and like gotten so many things from <laughs> from the brands that she like is wearing and every my mom's like I need to take a picture of you today and I'm like no because it's just another thing that looks <laughs> like Droname, <laughs> and I don't want her to think I'm like. I know, but that's <laughs> what
1: makes the world. I'm be.
2: joking, though. Like I totally, I'm really, I'm totally unabashedly proud of my in, how inspired I am by her. And I and I just wanted to add
1: that. I think what's really super fascinating to me as someone who's just learning about the immense power of boundaries is how Drona May came to letting her body just be what it's supposed to be. And, and from that, finding her style and finding her spirit and finding her essence when she's, when she decided to stop dating and having sex. And once she drew that boundary,
2: she came to life. She drew that boundary because she realized that there was some low self worth patterns that she had developed from being not accepted as a kid being like one of two black kids in her class having a different body shape and everything she didn't feel attractive, so then when she w- did start dating guys, like she was going for the wrong kinds of attention and flattered by any kind of attention and not necessarily having the standards that she that she wanted to have and and in in d- making this really empower empowered decision to be celibate at twenty. She has totally transformed her relationship to her style, to her body.
1: It's, it's really a story of finding your superpower by not following the status quo, basically.
2: Her and her mom now have the most honest, open, dreamy relationship. Her mom drove her all the way down to LA from Northern California for the shoot. And we got to meet her mom and they have such a close relationship because they've been able to be so honest with each other and process and heal a lot of the wounds and the mistakes that happened when she was growing up. I think that's the key to, like, as far as people ask us, like, how do we work together? How do we have such a close relationship? And I think it just comes down to that, like, honesty and being, and especially on my mom's behalf, I think, her willingness to look at herself and admit past mistakes and, like, be willing to grow constantly. And so we could gush on and on about May, but we'll let you listen to her story yourself and... Please share with us either by leaving a review or in, in, in on Instagram your thoughts. we'd love to hear from you about how her story resonated with you and might relate to what you've gone through or are going through. Anyway, we really
1: love you and, and appreciate this com- this community and all of you so much. Enjoy. So can you talk about uh, what your style says about you?
0: I mean, it's changed so much in the last two years, like in my 20s and since I like became celibate, it like did a full shift. I don't know. I'm hoping that it says that I'm like organic and like wanting to this this like minimalist, everything beige, white, black structured thing is so like cold, dystopian, brave new world to me. And so I'm I'm wanting to like dress in a way that is touchy-feely and textured, and and I wear a lot of stuff that like people that I love make, and women, amazing women make, and um, I think for the longest time, like my concept of doing fashion was so like rigid, and 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 now I'm wanting to kind of see it as this like living, breathing thing that like changes as I change and stuff like that. My favorite way to torture myself is like watching the Vogue YouTube channel whenever I'm like really feeling like shit and I want to like hammer it in. Blonde blogger after blonde blogger talking about like why jeans have to be suffocating to look good and like (laughs) da 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 da. And and they keep using all these words like classic, like oh it's a classic piece and, and this concept of like you know it's a good outfit if five years from now you'll wear the same thing is like baffling to me. Like it's this really weird like just this classic look that's always going to be in. And so just have it be your fallback. And I think I did that for like the longest time. And so now I'm trying to be okay with like looking stupid and (laughs) like a clown sometimes. In hindsight, looking back on like my style in high school and all the times that I thought I was like doing fashion, it was really just this like physical embodiment of my own captivity a little bit like my style was this like monument to my relation my like toxic relationship with the patriarchy and my concept of like what was what women are supposed to look like. But I think being celibate, when I like decided to like take a break from dating and sex when I was like 19, I didn't expect it to affect the way I feel about my clothing and my body so much. But I realized that it totally like in hindsight, it makes sense. Because being a woman is having all of these like messages and eyes on you from like elementary school and they make it very clear that like you are a thing to be like absorbed and judged and ranked and so I like everything I dressed accordingly like everything I wore the deciding factor of if I bought it was like how small do my shoulders look, how small does my waist look can you see my thighs touching like that was Mm. central to my style and then when I decided like I just need to like shut this shit down for a little bit. It was this month. And I remember I was like sitting in this coffee shop and there was this like cute boy looking at me and instantly like shoulders back. Like, okay, like, let me eat my salad slow. Like I was very suddenly super, super self-conscious and worrying like, oh my God, like, is my lipstick too bright? Like, why did I wear this jacket? And then I had the like, oh no, you're like, even if he loves your outfit, it doesn't matter because you're not going to give him your number. Like you are alone and then i was like oh well then i can wear whatever the fuck i want like now
2: Hmm.
0: my relationship to my clothing doesn't have to be confined by like what will men be interested in or Mm -hmm. what will make me look the hottest and then like through the celibacy my relationship to my own body and my weight gain and my eating stuff like really i didn't expect at all how like not Mm -hmm. dating shitty boys (laughs) <laughs> would make me like dress better, well,
1: because it's all fully woven in, like you your' your what's woven into the status quo and what is and and how you're supposed to be is to betray yourself
0: absolutely. and it, and it's reinforced by like every piece of media you consume as a child and growing up. And I say my mom and I say this all the time, like we didn't really stand a chance. like mm-hmm. girls, we didn't really have a prayer, and it's hysterical how much like Aggressive therapy and unlearning has to like make up for the three Disney movies I caught as a kid. (laughs) Like it makes like the just yeah Mm -hmm. damage done.
2: Can you talk a little bit about the assumptions that you think people make about you based on your appearance?
0: I get like theater kid a lot, which is awesome because like over my dead body (laughs) will I ever be an actor? Really, (laughs) petrifying to me. Yeah, and it's and like I we had to in high school. I mean, I did plays when I was little, but I was like a Venus flytrap and a bush and a skunk. Like it was like small town community theater. (laughs) And then in high school, every year we had to do some sort of theater and it like killed me. I mean, I was fucking terrified of it. my sole need was to like belong somewhere. To be unaccepted is to be exiled, is to like die basically. Mm -hmm. And so I'm in high school and I'm at this like all white tiny waldorf hippie school um which should should be wonderful but like for multiple reasons is actually really hard my class had i think 38 people in it my graduating class which is like kind of big um and i was one of two black people in the school except for the groundskeeper which is a phenomenal ironic twist just the racial just confusion And and i remember like this was like after Um, I had like really locked my eating disorder down. And so I was super, super thin and wearing Abercrombie and like doing all of the stuff that I had was like told I was supposed to do. Like, this is going to make you fit in. You're going to find your people. So I wasn't the fat one anymore, but now I was just the black girl. And I, I mean, I also, you know, to be fair, like the, the, the racial abuse and the comments and the whatever, like I never said stop because I think being 15 it's so much better to be the butt of the joke than like not being on it at all like I would so Mm -hmm. much rather people think I'm cool and then I can take it and then I think slavery jokes are hilarious than like be the bitch right especially as a black woman like to be angry is can get you killed sometimes and so it was just this like be cool and all of my friends my whole life have been tiny and white and usually blonde and like My friends were like the popular, beautiful girls. And I remember being genuinely so, like it sounds, it's like a horrible thing to say on camera. It sounds so awful. But I remember being in high school and like hearing about like a girl, girls who were being assaulted at parties by boys and being so fucking jealous of them. Because no guy was looking at me long enough to decide if he wanted to rate me or not. And, like, so I think you're
2: not alone in that. Like, I can relate, like, because I struggled so much with my body image growing yeah. up. And, like, I remember at, in my early 20s being so confused when, like, at the, I, I was, like, you don't want to be catcalled. Like, yeah. it feels so, I'm, someone knows hot. Like, literally. Like, and yeah. that's,
0: fuck, yeah, because like, we're literally taught that, like, male attention is good attention, end of mm-hmm. sentence. That, like, when women yeah. talk about being harassed, it's seen as bragging. When women talk about being what wh- whatever it is. And so that's the thing. Like, you can, like. In a lot of spaces, especially in high school and middle school and whatever, to complain about being sexually harassed was to brag that men, like, want to touch me. Mm. And I was, like, so envious. It's this, like, poison. I mean, you know, all of these systems, white supremacy, patriarchy, ableism, all of it. It's these, like, poisons that seep out into everything. And I mean, and I grew up in... I grew up in South Lake Tahoe. Overwhelmingly white, overwhelmingly conservative. And it's one of those little like super small places where like like, there's all of these like streets and like businesses and shit that's named after like family, friends, grandparents or something like that. Like it's so insulated. It's also like athletics is king. The combination of this like hyper athleticism, toxic masculinity just feeds right into Rampant date rape culture and rampant misogyny, and having like grown teachers comment on my breasts when I'm 11. Like, just it's insane. And like rewatching all of the shit that we absorbed as a kid and as teenagers, and like, no wonder we're all riddled with eating disorders and convinced that being roofied is a compliment because holy fucking shit, the protagonist guy gets girls drunk to get them back to his room and that's how he meets the love of his life like it's like it's and and i was watching it and I, and I was watching a movie the other day with my mom and she was like is he supposed to be the like bad guy like he's the bad guy and i was like no he's the 11 like no he's he's the one that we're supposed to root for um because he like successfully tricks and manipulates women into getting naked i mean it's just it's yeah what
2: were some of the like jokes that you were the butt of that you took when you were in the racial jokes and stuff
0: in high school um there's <laughs> there's this awesome like trope which is totally accurate where like anytime you're in history class and you're talking about race which is usually for like five seconds and martin luther king fixed racism and anytime they would we'd yeah. be watching a slideshow and there would be a brown person on the slideshow oh that's Dren May. the slave jokes and they're like oh like i i would be an indoor slave because i'm half white i so i showed up in ninth grade, already fish out of water, only black girl, one of two black people. And then I came because I was refusing to go to school. Like I, eighth grade had been so traumatic and I had, I just refused to go to school for like two months. And so I came a month late or something into freshman year. The seniors, there was this like very cool senior boy, like the big joke, They what did they call They called me um, Big Booty Judy. Very flattering because like, flattest ass on the planet so part of me like I'm important enough to have a shitty nickname but they would like shout it was like made it clear to me that it was a race thing and they would like shout it to me when I was walking by or the senior boy would like come up to talk to me and his friends would film it and like it was this like big whole joke that I'm the new black girl and I'm like a terrified new 14 year old and so yeah, so uh, slavery jokes and 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 lynching jokes, and everybody loves to. And it's and it's like, oh no, I'm not, I don't think that. I just think it's funny that other people think that. Like the devil's advocate way to like push off any responsibility. The the way that shitty high school boys can like weaponize the word triggered. I would like get up to go to the bathroom, and someone would like write triggered on my desk. And then senior year of high school, 2016 election, people start like writing the N word on campus and saying like like whole conversations in class about how Trayvon Martin had it coming. So there was like months and months senior year high school where it just got so bad, like because Trump was going to be president and everyone could say whatever they wanted. And I had my advisor. She looks in the eye and says that like these boys are just doing this to you, like all of this racial bullshit to you and taunting you because they like you because you won't date them. To these like white supremacist, like truck driving white dudes who have been the ones like doing horrible things to like, but they were the golden boys. Like these, it was these group of boys, and they'd been there since preschool, and their parents were best friends with the teachers, and their parents were huge donors, and like they were unfucking touchable, absolutely untouchable, whatever they did, whatever they said, like gun threats, like literally whatever they didn't said. And the teachers never did anything because they were like, well, it's important that students, like you guys have to collaborate. Like, like it should really be on, you know, you girls in the classroom to like speak up against when someone calls Trayvon Martin a thug or like reading to kill a mockingbird. And like, they're so stoked to say the lines with the N word in it. Like, it's just like ridiculous. Yeah. And it got to the point where, so they like in-class discussions about how Black Lives Matter is bullshit, Trayvon Martin had it coming, Colin Kaepernick's a piece of shit. Like in class, sanctioned conversations. And the teachers would say nothing, do nothing, and then come to me after class or take pop, take, pull me out of another class to be like, how are you feeling? And then tell me that like, oh, well, they're just doing this because they're in love with you. Um, And then (laughs) they, so there was one black kid in the lower school and he'd been experiencing a lot of racial-based bullying. And so their response was to have me in the midst of everything, like in the midst of like I'm I'm sitting there in rooms of 30 teachers having these conversations, like telling them what is going on. Like it is ripe. People are like writing the n-word on shit. There's like like shit is happening in the high school and no one's dealing with it. And their response to the situation that was happening in elementary school was to have ask me to go in and give a speech to the sixth, seventh and eighth graders about why racism is bad. Like unpaid, like they were just like, this is like, you're the perfect person to deal with this. No support, no anything. Asking me like, so what kind of black are you? Or like, you know, there's like thug black and then there's like smart black. And like, which which one are you? And so then senior year, I just didn't go to school anymore. My advisors and my teachers were really acting like I was the problem. Yeah, like I'm being really dramatic or I'm the one who's like, bailing and not fostering an opportunity for connection because these boys have been like doing the same thing over and over again. And then feeling really also like, you know, betrayed by my my friends, my girlfriends, because they weren't saying shit either. And like kept going to these guys' parties. But also again, you know, you're in high school and they've known them for years and I don't have that same amount of like, they don't owe me that loyalty. And you just want to connect and have fun and have friends. And so I don't like hold the women so much responsible. Um, But it has been interesting in like the years since graduating, I've gotten a couple of apology letters Mm -hmm. from girls. But you're so in it because again, so all these boys are like doing all this shit. And I was still like, I need you to like me. I ended up like, like sleeping with one of them. One of the worst ones, like after we graduated, my need to have men, white ones specifically, tell me that like I was the exception Mm -hmm. or pick me. Even when I know that like you spend Mm -hmm. all of your time, yeah, like fantasizing about destroying my humanity, I still really like I need you to um, tell me that I'm real. With your relationship with your body, like
2: when did that start to become something that that you were struggling with? What did that whole thing look
0: like? I've always been a super anxious like intense depression and anxiety run all the women in my family are crippled with it and I like still bite my nails a lot but when I was young like elementary school I would like bite my nails and my fingers until they like bled and I remember my teacher like sat me down in the third grade told me like very seriously that like you know if you keep biting your nails one day you're going to meet a boy and you're going to want him to date you and he's going to be holding your hand and look down and see how disgusting your hands are and he's not going to want to date you was like her big hot take. And I'm nine. And like already there's like some imaginary boy that doesn't even exist is being like slit in between me and my relationship with my body. And the issue isn't that I'm clearly harming myself. The issue is that like it's going to make me unfuckable. And I had parents who were like very... Active and my dad was a, like skiing, yoga teaching, lawyer, and my mom um, ran a yoga studio and was blonde and perfect and like misfit and universally loved by everybody. Um, and I and then I had they had this brown kid who like I had I not not quite this big but like I got I went through puberty at eleven. And had double Ds in the sixth grade, and was suddenly like covered in hair. And I was—I've been almost this tall since then. And I just was this like cartoon character, who are like already had being the one of two or three black kids pretty much in the town. And then now I have this like ridiculous body that no one knows what to do with, and that like male teachers are commenting on, and dudes in the studio shouting at me about it. And I don't even know what's happening because I'm 11. What would the male teachers say to you well like the need to like tell an 11 year old to cover her cleavage like my body is seen as such a problem because i'm brown and because i have these curves or whatever and so like i can't have my bra straps out but like someone else courtney can be basically naked yeah but but they would but the teachers like their concept of it they really believe that like the one thing between Mason getting into Harvard is the fact that, like, my shoulders are out. Like, I'm this massive distraction to the boys. It's like, that's the primary reason why we have dress codes is because it's distracting for men. And so I was automatically, like, this judgment and, like, things were my fault all of a sudden, too. Like, the, like the need to associate guiltiness with having tits. Like, you're walking down the street and, like, men in cars need to tell you shit. My mom is this fit Yoga guru. We talk about it all the time now. And like, really, she was just so under the thumb of like the patriarchal bullshit brainwashing. And what she had been told what makes you a good mom is having a happy, healthy, peppy, well adjusted, busy kid. <laughs> and it was very clear that I was like not going down that road. <laughs> like, I was like, again, sat all the time watching Lord of the Rings alone in my room, like. Had this weird, big, tall body that no one knew what to do with. And I gained all this weight because of puberty. And like, so I, it was clear that I was like, whatever I was doing was fucked up and we got to get me back on the straight and narrow. And so it was years and years of ballet and soccer and softball and dance, like everything. I did it all, but I was like mm-hmm. too big. They wouldn't let me be on the teams with my own age group. And so I was in seventh grade on soccer and softball teams with high school girls for years. So then, so then it was like ballet. Um, where none of the little outfits that we wear for the shows fit me right, and they're so inappropriate anyway, but none of them fit me right, and my hair won't go into the slick back bun. I'm the only black girl in the whole ballet studio, of course, and I'm so I'm getting publicly scolded for the fact that my hair doesn't look like Emily's, and the fact that like I'm I'm snapping out on stem in my ballerina outfit like popping out of it on stage, um, and just like. And I couldn't, and I, I, like, they, I couldn't do the boy girl dance because none of the boys were bigger than me. Like it was just so much, every arena is telling you that you're bad and you're wrong and your body is fucked up and like, and it's so funny, like the irony that you make your kid do all of this so that they like fit in and find a place and have purpose when like all I'm doing is leaving school every day and going to get my self-esteem shit all over mm-hmm. because everything I'm doing, I'm horrible at. And so (laughs) then I don't even have time or the confidence to like find my purpose and find my places. Like I I would have gotten into art and music and clothing and writing so much sooner maybe had I had the time to do it. But I didn't because I spent all of my time in summer camp for fucking like summer camp for introverts is like fucking traumatizing. And then when I was in like the middle end of seventh grade, I remember so vividly like. Sitting in gym in the fucking uniform that doesn't fit me correctly, <laughs> and um, I'm watching this girl from like across the floor, and she has like this long, long brown hair, and and like she's like playing dodgeball with a bunch of boys, and every time she lifts her arms up, you can see her flat stomach, and I was like, I mean, in hindsight, I probably just had a crush on her, <laughs> honestly, but at the time, I was like, that is it. I'm gonna do that. Um, went home from the summer and stopped eating and started jogging all the time and like subscribed to all the blogs that tell teenage girls how to like eat cotton swabs and hide it from your parents. Came back for eighth grade and I was like thin and wearing Abercrombie and it started straightening my hair. Eating disorders are so funny because when when you start, you draw a line in the sand of like how far I'm going to take it. Like I'm just going to lose this amount of weight and get this jean size and then I'll be done and I'll be normal because my life will be better. And so there'll be no reason to do this to myself anymore. And that's the other thing, like when I hear like grown men, like male health experts talk about eating disorders and teenage girls, their concept of it so much is like, it's just about thinness. And like, for me, being thin was just the gateway to this like world of purpose and friendship and love and adventure and feeling smart. Like I was always clever, I've always got great, great, but like. I didn't feel like I had earned the intelligence yet because I still wasn't fuckable at 12. Mm-hmm. And so I would like, you know, do all the stuff, get to the first line in the sand, get to the pants size, look around at my life and be like, this doesn't feel the way I thought it was going to. Like I'm thin, but I'm tired and nauseous constantly. And my friendships don't look like the ones I'm seeing on TV, like if anything, now because i'm perceived as like a threat my relationships with my friends are totally on the rocks and i'm getting all this attention from boys but it doesn't feel the way that i thought it was going to feel i feel like i'm safe and they're just sticking their hands on me all the time and i don't like it and and so i wasn't like i wasn't happier and now the concept would be like okay so then maybe (laughs) your approach is wrong like maybe thinness isn't the ticket but i like Audrey Lord could have descended from the heavens and told me that. And I would have been like, you don't know what you're talking about. Like, mm-hmm. I got this. And so then I would move the line in the sand and like to a more severe place because I'm just not thin enough. And that's why, my, that's why my life doesn't look like Serena Vanderwoodson. It's like, I need to, you know, carry it on. Gossip Girl owes me a fucking check. I swear to God. Like, <laughs> reparations. That just went on and on. And like, took all these different forms. It was like anorexia for a long time and then trying out bulimia. And then in high school, I discovered like, going to the gym aggressively, like orthorexia or whatever it's called. Like it would just change all these forms. It's amazing how I'm so grateful for all of this because being able to see the capacity to which you can convince yourself of something is like so good to see what I'm able to like spin circles around to justify doing to myself. By the time I went to high school, when I was like 15 or 14, I started going to meditation retreats. And it was like my time to shine. Like I would create a whole character, plan my outfits for weeks in advance, like be this like woke, feminist, cool, spiritual, girl's girl or whatever. Yeah, I would like go there and, it would, and I, would, I would put on this show of like being so amazing and so like centered and into meditation. And then like every day between lunch and the next meditation period, I would go like puke in the bathroom. Mm-hmm. And then I would be sitting in meditation Doing zero loving kindness work because I'm worried about if my back fat is seeping out of my bra and like can the boy over there see my cellulite beneath my shawl. Like it was I was so full of shit. And then in high school, like sophomore year, I dropped out of P.E. God, I it's so funny talking to people on the Internet about how like how many people's like core character defects started in P.E. class. Like P.E. was like the level of hell that Dante forgot to write about. Like it was fucking, it's fucking, it's ridiculous. And so sophomore year of high school, I dropped out of PE um, because every time we would run the mile, like
2: the mile,
0: every time we run the mile, the traumatic mile, um, my tits would bounce. And it was like the funniest thing to everybody. And I, and you could just like the boy, the older boys and like the, like girl, like it was just horrible. And so I was just like, I'm not fucking doing this myself. So in order to drop out of it, I had to go like log a certain amount of hours at the gym every week. And that like was this golden ticket to this realm of toxic exercise that I then started. Because before, because my relationship to sports and exercise from living in Tahoe was so traumatic that like even when I was like hell-bent on losing weight, I wouldn't – where I would go on jogs a little bit between seventh and eighth grade. But then once I like got thin, I was like I'm never fucking working out again. Like I have like – so much trauma around it. So I would just not eat anything, but I would never, I didn't have this like intense relationship to exercise. And then in high school I discovered it. And so every day after class, I would like go to the gym and run until I almost passed out and then go home and like eat carrots and hot sauce and log how many calories are in my like gum that I chewed. And I was super, super fit. I mean, I got super, I was really thin and fit and I had like a seven minute mile. Like I was like, had discovered and like that was everyone was like, oh, you're so naturally athletic and my whole life because I'm tall, people would tell me that. And so now I had like found it and I was like sporty girl.
2: Hi everyone. We hope you're enjoying this episode so far. We wanted to take a quick moment to remind you that if you're moved by what you're hearing, you can watch the video version of this interview by subscribing to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash style like you. That's YouTube.com/s t y l e l i k e u. Now back to the episode.
1: Through all of this, where where were your like? What was happening with your parents? Like, what was their awareness?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: How were, were they trying to help? Or
0: my mom, we were doing this like um, circle vulnerability training in San Francisco, this was like years ago in San Francisco. And my mom turns to me and just like bursts into tears. And we cry in front of each other every day, but like just burst into tears. And I'm like, what the fuck is she gonna tell? Like, I don't, there's nothing I don't know. Like, I'm like, what is she gonna say? And she like in front of this audience to apologized to me. And she told the story of when I was a baby and she, we went to some like anti-war protest or something. And, I, and she was like carrying me up on her shoulders and some white dude like ran up to her to me and like screamed nigger at me. She she talks about it as it being this moment of like, because I, my head was right above her head, she was like for the first time kind of getting a kind of glimpse into like this level of hatred and into this world that she had no reason to looks to to experience, that she had never experienced. And and she talks about it, and she's like, that was the moment that I decided that like come hell or high water, I was gonna shield you from this. So for the longest time, that we just didn't talk about. Like we didn't talk about race stuff. I didn't really know the right questions to ask because I'm a kid and both my parents are white. All the family that I know that I'm close with are white. I would like drop, like I knew that I looked different. I would like draw photos of us and like I would be purple and she would be pink or whatever. But I didn't have like language around it. And then I, but then I would be at school confronted with like kids in third grade or second grade telling me that like I had to sit in the back of the bus because that's where your people sit. And like, it's this funny thing of like parents think that they don't don't talk to their kids about race because they're too young to be able to deal with it. But like, we are dealing with it. Mm-hmm. Your kids are dealing, your white kids are dealing with it in certain ways and your brown kids are suffering from it. And so, so, but we just never talked about it. And then the body stuff, it's so awesome when like the shit that you're going through is Triggering the most tender place in your mom, she's like starving herself to be yoga perfect and and you know teaching classes in New York and teaching classes in college, like traveling and teaching and she you know has this following and um, and then you have this kid who's like the physical manifestation of all of your greatest fears.
2: Um, Meaning, because you were when you weren't skinny.
0: Yeah, when I no, when I when I was in like early middle school and I was like overweight and dorky and hairy and like not very like socially lubricated. Like I was like, <laughs> yeah. And so and so I'm this like massive trigger for her. And so her response to my parents' response to it was like lose her weight, force her into this. I got really into cleansing really young, like two week kitchery cleanses, ayurvedic this, ayurvedic that, juice cleanses. Like that started in like eighth grade. And so I I know that like there was a lot of conflict all around the same thing. Her fears of me being lazy and unhappy and unpopular and me trying to tell you like, this is not making me popular. (laughs) Like no one's wanting to like see me in this out. Like it's, you know, being the like loser in ballet isn't the key that you think it is. It wasn't until maybe like freshman year of high school, I fell down my stairs. So I'm like nauseous and dizzy all the time. And um, at this point I was like, Size Abercrombie 2. At this point, the skinniest, I was like maybe 102 pounds. I've always been this tall. So I was like 5'8. And so, but so in when I was in like ninth grade or maybe the summer before ninth grade, I fell down my stairs and I like fucked my back up and like bruised some ribs and I had to go in for all of these x-rays because they were worried that I had like bruised my kidneys because I just felt like I had no padding or anything like that. This was when like, yeah, my hair was falling out and my skin, was like I was noticeably ill. So my parents, like the deal was you go to therapy basically or meditation retreats. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I took the meditation retreats and just found a new way to, to right. be full of shit. But yeah, so they, there wasn't, we haven't had the real in-depth conversations about the real body stuff and all of that didn't start until like three years ago. It didn't start until my mom gained weight, until my mom, we moved out of Tahoe. As high school progressed, by the time I was a senior in high school, she had like gotten it all into like therapy and prison work and less into yoga teaching and yoga teacher trainings and stuff like that. And she just like stopped cleansing all the time. And so she's now like, wasn't super, super thin anymore. And that was like so tough for her. We just have this relationship and she's the most, like she's so incredible. And so that's when we kind of started processing this stuff together. And then now we talk about, I mean, it's now we talk about all the time and we're both like pretty close to the same size. And um, she says a lot that like me being kind of like, I don't like the term radicalized, but like me, like growing into myself and, and like my generation getting these things about feminism and about this shit. I'm so fortunate that she listened to me and we got to grow together. I, a lot, a lot of my friends have this relationship with their parents where it's like inherently hierarchical and there's nothing that you, my child can teach me that I don't already know. which mm-hmm. is hysterical because you're coming into parenting with like antiquated fucking concepts of what it means to be a good human. And so I'm, so we, me growing has given us like, the space to grow together
2: so what was like so like the turning point or what what inspired you to like because obviously now like looking at you and following you on instagram like you would you would just seem like so at peace and like you like with yourself and mm-hmm. and it's so inspiring and and with your body like what so what happened like how did that happen <laughs>
0: I had to be so strict and actively conscious about what I was consuming, my relationship with Instagram, who I was following, what shows I was watching, mm-hmm. who I was friends with. There was a time when I like could not be friends with little white girls, like I just couldn't. And then also like, I mean, I was doing, I had this this like fucked up, disordered relationship with my body and with eating until I was like 19, 20, like until like two years ago. Mm-hmm. When I was in college, And I was dealing with, like, all this new race and gender stuff that was, like, same but different that I hadn't anticipated. And suddenly, like, boys were interested in me. And I never really had that before. And I was having all of these, like, I was doing all the things I was, like, thought that I was supposed to be doing. And it was a disaster. And so that's when I was, like, okay, I'm just not dating. I'm not having sex with anybody. I'm done for two years. I'm not doing any of this. And being celibate which i i think it's important that people talk about in a way that's like not religious Mm -hmm. because kind of dogmatic conversations about celibacy are so patriarchal and so Mm -hmm. brainwashed and so misogynistic Mm -hmm. i'm working at this center and i have this necklace that says feminist i spend all this time talking Mm -hmm. about female empowerment and then i'll be in bed with a dude and like never, not saying no, not knowing how to communicate with my, like like I, I'll just turn into like lobotomy Barbie. I just, I'll turn into like this fucking robot. And it's so funny because in like, if I'm sleeping with a guy and he's been brainwashed by the patriarchy and porn and his brothers and everything to like only care about his own pleasure. And I've also been brainwashed by all those things to only care about his own pleasure. Then I might as well not even be there. I'm like a fill-in character. And so I was just like, I can't do this anymore. Like I'm so full of shit. I'm having all of these like, I'm having these like dating experiences and sexual interactions where I just the second I step up to the plate with you, I completely betray myself and I betray everything that I claim to care about. And so then I swore off of it and like, it changed my relationship with my body so quickly. No one's gonna see you naked. So whatever, eat what you want. And it doesn't matter if he thinks your outfit is cool. So wear what you want. I was just with myself. And I couldn't like run away from it, and I couldn't like oh, I don't like this thing about my body. Let me like call this boy and have and like get in a situation where he has to tell me that he likes my body so I can finally feel like like it was this like day by day thing of like if I go to school and I'm feeling ugly, I will like walk by a place where men congregate to get catcalled to confirm that like okay, I'm okay. And then I'll go complain about being catcalled. Like it like like just I'm such a mind fuck. And I was, and it was all happening at the same time because I was also like shedding my like deep internalized anti-blackness that I had been inundated with. And like all of these things about my body that I hated because they were so black. When I was in high school and when I was in, when I was growing up, I like really kind of foolishly believed that the root of my issues was that like I'm not around any black people. And like I don't have any black friends. And so all I need to do once I like, I just need to go to a school and make black friends and be in black community and then I'll find my place and automatically I'll fit in and it'll be perfect. And like, I'll have an identity. And then I got there like very quickly was like, oh, that that's not correct. Because now all I'm hearing is like, you think you're white, you dress white. You care about school. You must like, just like, like I'm now I'm like too white. and. So so, then I, so I, then I snapped into this like really kind of performative black activism woke chick for a while. My concept of like the dance of partnership or interest or intimacy or whatever was like, all that mattered was he was into me. It didn't even matter if I was let into him, but he's into me and maybe this will never happen again. So I better respond and it's a fucking prison. <laughs> and again, so like I'm curating this whole personality depending on what boy is interested in me and he's like not worried about any of this shit like he's the worst and like fine with it and so it's just yeah it was like <laughs> the imbalance of power like like we i think it's easier to talk about in a race aspect and i kind of argue with my friends about this sometimes i have friends who think that i'm like way too um picky and critical and that i'm going to die alone if i don't like start kissing frogs like i like I wouldn't be friends with a white person who wasn't actively interested in unpacking white supremacy and aware of it. And like, you know, like, I, like to be a responsible white person is to be doing the work, as we say. And like, fucking same for men. Like, why should I be in a relationship or be friends with a man who isn't, like, equally as aware of the patriarchy and misogyny and his place in power and his inherent place over me and that, like, I've been brainwashed to, like, just mirror him in whatever way I can. I'm not interested in like hand-holding a boy through explaining why I'm a human. Like, like I'm not gonna like like be someone's babysitter while I explain to you that women are people. How can I expect you to to fully see my humanity? Because I don't even see, because I'm sleeping with you, I'm denying my own humanity because I don't wanna be here and you're a racist. But I am here, like I'm doing it anyway, so I'm, I'm like, selling myself downriver and, and, and expecting him to and being fine with it.
2: Wait, so what was the performative woke?
0: Thing? Oh, <laughs> um, I just was like at this school with black people for the first time. And I was like, I need to, I need to prove to everybody that I'm black. And so it was this very like hungry need to like be a part of something. So I like got a job at, um, the like community and diversity center and like was putting on protests and doing like art displays and and leading women of color circles and and hosting script. Sk- like I like I was I was doing woke activist girl and going to protests all the time. And and then like I became a sociology tutor. And then I like competed in a research competition at Stanford and won an award for my James Baldwin Martin Luther King project. Like it was like I was doing good work, um, always being on like committees with like professors and the president of the college and traveling to go speak it's like like I I sold it really well because I'm smart and I sold it really well but it was never coming from a place of like me it was this like I care about the work I believe in the work and I desperately need to be seen and I need community and I need to, to prove to everyone that I'm black and I know my parents are white but I'm black and I'm like you know I'm I'm one of this and it it all just blew up in my face <laughs> I had I had really underestimated the power of misogyny and of the patriarchy and the need for intersectionality. And I didn't have language for it yet. I couldn't go to a protest or an event or a class or whatever without some sort of like extreme, sometimes sexual harassment. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't do a, go to a protest and go to a thing without being touched and grabbed and like asked out aggressively by men twice my age. And I felt, Am like, am I allowed to be upset about this? Like, am I like, first of all, because again, male attention is good attention. So shouldn't I be honored because I spent all of high school wishing I could be off getting this sort of attention. And then also like, am I black enough to be mad at black men? Am I black enough to call out this? Because, you know, I I am black and I like walk the world as a black person, but I also, I'm light-skinned and biracial and my parents are white and I have a fucked up relationship with my black dad. Like, am I, allowed to be mad at the like constant sexual abuse and misogyny that I'm experiencing in these spaces. And so I would like pack it in and be cool girl and go to the parties and host the parties and let the boys put their arms around me and whisper shit in my ear and touch my like, I, like I was cool girl. But then I was like one, always one step, like one overhearing one conversation about how women you just need to watch what they wear or being called bitch moment, Like I was one moment away from like fucking losing it and so I did I fucking lost it and I like made a poster that said like black men watch your male privilege and it just fucking blew up and like went viral on the internet and like overnight now I like hated black men and I was like very clearly anti-black and how dare she? Cause she has white parents and da 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 like, like I was really just rapidly kind of like pushed out of this community that I had spent years and years trying to prove to them that I'm like trying to earn my spot. Lost a ton of friends, quit all my classes, like was being harassed so much in school that I like quit my job, quit, quit my tutoring job, quit my job at the community center, dropped all my classes and like, ran away for the rest of the semester. And in hindsight, I can totally fucking see why what I did was so traumatizing for people. Because like, like I get I totally get it. I can totally see why being like making this blanket statement of black men watching the male privilege when black men are being shot by police all the time is like mm-hmm. a conflicting statement. And the freak out around it and the way that I was treated around it and the way that the men who had been like harassing me in a lot of really intense ways were immediately like protected. Like just the 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 slut shaming and the me being the only problem that I experienced really points to like the lack of intersectionality in the space. I think I spent a lot of time thinking that I was straddling this like growing up I was like straddling white and black and now I am more feeling like I'm straddling like black and woman, which is they're not inherently separate, but our systems make them that way. Like pick an identity and run with it. And either either one, you're betraying part of you because these women's spaces, or there's no space to talk about trans women or white supremacy or any of this. Mm-hmm. And then in a lot of these black spaces, I don't feel like I'm fully human. I feel like I'm just here for you to touch and grab and whatever. And so that like, when do I step up? and step forward and then when do i like shut my mouth and like listen how do i not feel better than and 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 judgmental about people who like aren't getting it because to get it which is like always changing every time i think i get it i end up not getting it but like it's a privilege like to 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 have the space to like feel what i feel and and to talk about it and to even see these problems it's like being out of the matrix and like once you're out of it you can't go back in that's the whole gag and so once you see these things you can't unsee them
1: what you're saying it it, it is you know it's like any of my family member like i have family members who voted i mean i'm not talking to them anyway and they're blocked and everything but (laughs) i mean they voted for trump and like am i ever going to be able to speak to them again like it's like yeah i don't know like it's it's I don't know. It, it's just, this is a fascinating mm-hmm. issue. Like, I think this issue right now is really. And the family how to deal with it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I have Trump I family members, and I have family members who were having this perfect nice right. dinner. A couple them. racial slurs are being said. So why do you need to make a big deal about it? Like, like, like now I'm. So it's uh, like, do I fuck up the whole system? Do I fuck up the happy go lucky thing that we have going on? Or. Do I stay silent and then like shred myself from the inside out? Do I stay silent and then go to bed and think about like how much I just abandoned everything I stand for and three-year-old me who just wants someone to stick up for? It. Like, like I just ended up being born into the family I was born into. I mean, I didn't, I didn't choose. Like, I could have also easily been born into a like blue lives matter, women stay in the kitchen family. I'm lucked out that I wasn't. But like, I've been just as much brainwashed as anybody else has. I believe that my version of brainwashing is like the human version, but like, you know, so it's so, right. yeah, how do I not? Cause it's so, to get into the ego and like unpacking, trying to like get into like where my activism and my ego are uh. fucking each other over. And that was like when all of this shit blew up and I lost all these friends and I quit my job and everybody thought I, you know, I had this like, reputation all of a sudden. And it was like, am I upset that I did something offensive and harmful? Or am I upset that like, no one wants to come to my party? Like, am I upset that-
2: About the real thing. Yeah.
0: Am I upset about the fact that like, I said something that was harmful to the black community? Or am I upset about the fact that like, this very shaky house of cards that I had been building around my popularity and my identity and all my friends and the boyfriend, you know, all of this stuff just like, blew up like what like and I don't I don't have an answer and that's scary
1: it, it, and and also the generalizations and the like everyone is this and those people are all that and they're you know like mm-hmm. uh, you know like I cancel culture drives me crazy but at the same time I've canceled m- all of my family and right. I can't get past that like the I cancel
0: culture thing. my dad and I scream at each other about because it's like You need to be held accountable for your behavior. And the most of the times when I hear people saying cancel culture, it's because, like when my dad and I fight about it, it's because I don't want to watch a movie with like a known sexual abuser in it. Cancel culture. Habitual predatory behavior against vulnerable populations is something that you should be...
1: Not giving your money to. Yeah.
0: And also, the fuck if I would want people holding me accountable for shit I said when I was 15. I wasn't a rapist. You know, so it's yeah, like right. like humans are imperfect and we're everything is like we're rapidly learning these things so quickly. That's something that I said two months ago that I think is super woke now is like totally antiquated and like not inclusive at all. And so how do I balance our ever growingness with also like holding people accountable, holding men in power accountable in like Brave New World? like the, you're in these like pods being bred into these casts and they're like whispering who you are. Like 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 you're, you're being repeated these mantras to depending on what group you're being bred into. And so you can't, like it's brainwashing. Like we're literally so conditioned from jump. Men are conditioned to do this. White people are conditioned to be this way. Women are conditioned to be this way. How do we hold ourselves accountable? I spend so much time thinking about like, oh, what would have, like kind of romanticized, like what would it have been like to be in the civil rights you know all of that which is like admittedly problematic and i have all like would love to fantasize that i would have like just done it and sacrificed shit and like you know you know put my body and my life on the line but being in this time right now specifically about the like having the space for the internal revolution and like the vulnerability work and the way that like people who have been silenced, women being silenced from our anger, men being silenced for so long from their vulnerability. Like now that we're in this space where more or less we have platforms to talk about it. This is like my revolution, this is the revolution that we get.
2: When do you feel the most vulnerable?
0: When I'm angry and and I have this like, Thing where um, when I'm really mad, I start to cry and like, I don't even really notice it. It's just like a physiological response. Like my eyes, misstep, my face gets red, my voice will crack. And so I'll be in class debating with like the devil's advocate who has some hot takes on immigration, or I'll be at home fighting with my dad about Misogyny, even if everything I'm saying is like on point, like even if I'm like citing James Baldwin to the letter and you know, talking about the Harvard date rape statistic down to the decimal point, my eyes messed up. I get, you know, I get emotional and I can fucking see, my mom and I were just talking about this. I can literally see the exact moment in the man's face when they stop taking me seriously. Like the minute I get too much, It's like, oh, click hysterical woman, next slide. Like they just completely, nothing I say holds any water anymore. And it's so fucked up because these are things like everyone should be drawn, like anger to the point of tears over. Like the destruction of the planet and the systemic rape and murder and abuse of already marginalized populations should make everyone cry. But we're in this thing where like men are celebrated for shoving their emotions down and only turning them into like age and power over others rage and power over. And if I'm too, it's like women are told to only be emotional and only care about love and only care about all of these things. But then when we have strong emotions about that, now I'm like hysterical and I'm not qualified to like have this job or teach this class or like whatever. Or I shouldn't even be having this conversation about my own body because I'm too emotional about it. And the people who I really look up to and who I really connect with, like from their art to their writing to whatever. It's people who like are super angry and have the right to be. Growing up when I'm like in the trenches and I'm like, oh my God, no one in the world feels this way. All my friends are peppy and blonde and happy and their lives are perfect. And like, I'm I'm just like defective robot. And I think that like when I was going to protest all the time and like w- when that was a huge part of my life, the collective anger was like the community the love and the anger and the grief and coming together to like scream, like what you said, like, why aren't we like coming together to scream and to be like, okay, I'm not the only one who's alone in my terror and in my rage and in my whatever. Like the community, the, the community that anger can foster Mm -hmm. is so beautiful if you, if not weaponized.
2: When do you feel the most beautiful?
0: Back to the celibacy thing, like just being, being alone in a way that's not just like the stalling point waiting for the next thing. Sitting alone in the field, not having no idea what's coming next, if anyone's coming next, just like being in your shit. And I think that it's terrifying. And then also like, I just feel so, I just feel beautiful. I just feel like, like I'm okay. And also when I'm with my mom, um, we like three or four days a week go and sit on the cliffs and, um, like for hours and the sun goes down and we drink hard kombucha and smoke cigarettes and like dance a lot and talk and and I just, and I think I only like the, the, the way that it's pitched to us, to women specifically, is like through romantic relationships. But then with my relationship with my mom and with my, like the women in my life, so seen, like seen and, and valid, but not like, You know seen invalid and also like called out on my shit like it's a very real two-way street, but I Feel so I feel so beautiful when I'm with her in hindsight. Thank God. I was unfuckable in high school because Being that young and having to like hold this energy hold this exchange of energy and the sexual energy and the relationship Like there was no way I'm barely prepared for it now. There was no way I could have done it then and so wanting to like spend a lot of time talking to teenage girls and and about like it's amazing to be loved and to want to be loved but also investigate why you want to be loved because it's kind of something that's been like forced down our throat being partnered can be beautiful but getting to know yourself is so much better and it's so scary because it's like very much the antithesis of what you're supposed to be doing when you're a teenager because every fucking teen show is about Sex and love and be like the. I mean, it's insane. You have like twenty-eight year olds playing fifteen-year-olds, meeting the love of their life, and like we need shows for like kids who had sex for the first time at twenty and it was bad, and then didn't do it for years afterwards. Like, yeah, like that. Maybe I need it's to be so a movie producer. It's, it's so <laughs> true. It's so
2: true. I think so, so. It's so true. What's your favorite part of your body?
0: It looks like my mom's, and like. There's these, there's these pictures of like just random candidates of any time my mom and my grandmother and I are together and we'll like walk, like looking at the beach or looking at anything and we stand in the exact same, like we stand like prison guards. Like we have this like very like, you know, and it haunted me for so long. Um, and like the way that I was able to be kinder to myself and, and feel less hatred towards my body and like the individual physical stuff was just being like, I stand like my grandmother. And like me and my mom have the same belly and I don't hate it on her. I feel not always like drastically enthused about my body, but like I'm neutral good about it.
1: Last question, Um, why in your body, in your skin, in your journey, why, why is it a good place to be?
0: I think I just like, I spent so much fucking time like, punishing her and like trying to like force her to like adhere to this standard of beauty that was like not only completely out of reach and impossible but also like objectively pretty overrated. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And so now I'm just like letting her do whatever she needs to do. I just turned 22 and I feel like I'm in the process of like take letting out this like massive like murky, deep, polluted breath that I've been holding since I was like 10. And so if like, if a side effect of that means that now I have like a hairy pussy and like back fat that sweats in the summer, then fine.
1: How do you feel now?
0: I don't have a vulnerability hangover whatsoever. And it's so funny because I've literally, I mean I've been watching these videos since I was like 15 Mm -hmm. and like full of concepts of, of what I was gonna, be like when i was a big kid <laughs> and i'm like i'm nothing like i thought i was gonna be and thank god i'm so grateful that all of my like hopes for what i would turn into when i was 16 were wrong <laughs>
1: hopefully we contributed to that
0: oh massively like yeah. massively
1: we hope you were inspired by this episode until next week that's it from me alisa and me lily If you were touched by this story, please take a moment to share the episode with any friends or family who could benefit from understanding that they are enough as they
2: are. And if you agree that facades separate us and being radically honest brings us together, please help spread the movement for radical self-acceptance by subscribing to, rating, and reviewing this podcast. We can't skip ahead to a happy ending or live inside a photoshopped image or an Instagram filter. There is no finding oneself when glossing over the truth.